Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Welcome, Kim O'Hara, to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Thank you. I hope that I cut the mustard with the balance and the beauty and the What's the third thing? Abundant. Abundant. (laughs) Amazing. I forgot that one. (laughs) Of course you do. That is why you're on the show. So let me tell my audience a little bit about Kim O'Hara and why she's on the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Kim is a book coach, two bestsellers. She has guided over 40 clients from book inception to publishing. She is a published author herself, and her new book is coming out in February. It's called No Longer Denying Sexual Abuse, Making the Choices That Can Change Your Life. She is also a contributing expert on books at CEO World. So Kim, I'm so excited to get right into it. I had such a great time on your podcast. You should write a book about that, that I wanted to continue the conversation in front of my audience at the Balanced, Beautiful and Abundant show. Thank you. Yes, of course. So Kim, tell us about your story. How did you become a book coach? How did you get into the book writing space? It's, I'll try to tell the brief version of it. I was in the movie business for a long time, uh, most of my young life from 21 on. And at a certain point, that career just wasn't working for me anymore. I had little kids and I went through, you know, a midlife crisis basically at 40 and knew I needed a different career. At around 44, I went to a women's conference. I had never been to a women's conference. I had been around mostly men my whole film career. I was usually the only woman in the room kind of thing. And all these women were like embracing me and like, you can do it. It's going to be okay. And I'm just like, what is this? And the coach at the time who was holding the event in Arizona said, you're going to be a book coach. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And a woman from way in the back stands up and goes, I'll hire you. Wow. And she was my first client. That's incredible. What was the name of the conference or the coach? Her name was Kendall Summerhawk and she doesn't do lives anymore. I think it was like almost her last live that was there. So it was really serendipitous. And the woman's book, the woman was called Gail West. She she is Gail West. She's, she's here still with us. And she wrote a book called Money Come Dance With Me. It was about money. So ironically, because I was like joining a group program, you know, when you join your first group program as a coach, you're like $5,000. And I'm sober. So I went out into the parking lot and called a sober member of my community and said, I think I'm going to throw up. Like, I don't 
I don't know if I could do this. And he's like, you could do it. Like you could become a coach. You could do this. And I did. That's amazing. Now, what was the impetus to go to this women's conference? How did you end up in that room? Well, I met someone in recovery, Mm -hmm. uh, this amazing man. His name is Jay Westbrook. He's a friend to this day. And he said to me, you have this light in you that's so bright. You need to shine it on other people. I think you'd be a great coach. And I was like, okay. And he's like, look at these websites of these women and which one sort of appeals to you. And she just, there was something about her story. She'd been married a couple of times. She, you know, struggled finding, you know, and I just, I was attracted to it. And so, you know, it had like the $397 weekends, you know, one of those weekends. And I was like, all right, for $397, then of course they got me for the five grand, but I was really grateful. That is so great. Well, congratulations on investing in yourself. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And I have hired some amazing coaches since. Like, I really believe in coaching. Like, you know, you're a coach and I've hired business coaches. I even hired a manifestation coach at one point that actually helped me get my first house. So it works. It works. What would you say to someone that was like you, that was kind of on the edge of the precipice going, I'm so scared. How am I going to invest money that I don't even have in coaching? What would you tell that person? I would say you have to spend money to make money and you have to spend money to make the needle move. And it's in the moment might feel like the craziest thing, but you also have to, I'm a checks and balances girl, right? So I always know how much I can spend and it's always a little bit more that I'm comfortable with because I need to go to that next level. So I have to spend it a little bit of that next level. And that's, what's always worked for me. I'm not saying go like, you know, take a second mortgage out on your house to like go to a program, but I'm just saying like, know your, know where it's a little edgy and then kind of go there. Because it's in that edginess and that uncomfortability, I can't even talk, that makes you (laughs) commit to the coaching program because yeah, I have invested in coaching programs like self-study that were not, you know, going to make or break my bank account. And I didn't even finish because I'm like, oh, I don't have time. But but if you have, you know, invested just a little bit outside your comfort zone, you're going to be like, I am definitely showing up and I'm doing this coaching program because I want money's worth and even make my money back. Right. And, and, and since then I have invested in $30,000 things because that was my new comfort zone and even had that investment. I did not work out at least in the, in the, what I, and how I see it today, everything's always working out under the surface in some way. Like we might not see the monetary gain in the first year or something, but you always learn something at that level. If you think about millionaires that kind of play big with bigger money and fail, they always say they've learned something always. Always. And betting on yourself is always the best investment you're ever going to make. And you can't, bet on yourself and your own personal growth and development, then what can you bet on? You're just going to stay in a status quo and people are going to get tired of hearing you complain. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I think investing in personal growth and development 
is great. Every coaching program I've ever done, some have moved the needle financially and Mm -hmm. others have moved it. And my other seven pillars of abundance, either my health or my spirituality or my social circle, but they've always moved me to the next step of my growth. Absolutely. Unfoldment. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. So what makes you different from other book coaches? Oh, I love that question. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves book coaches that really aren't book coaches, right? They might be like an editor that's just going to get on the phone with you, or a lot of people calling themselves book coaches and they're not even really doing the coaching. Um, it's really, I'm a writer and I've been a writer my whole life. been writing since I was 13 years old or probably even younger, but I understand the mindset of the writer. I understand that like feeling like every time you sit down at that computer and you look at that blank page, like there's a mindset shift that you have to go through. And there's also a lot of feelings of like imposter syndrome or like, am I good enough? Or is this even worth it? Or why am I going to write this book? Haven't other people written it? All that stuff needs to be coached because at the end of the day, your talent needs to come through. Yes. But if there's no book, then there's no point. And so many people like abandon ship without coaching in the middle of the deal because they aren't seeing the vision. So what I do as a coach is I make sure that you understand continually while you're writing the book, who's your reader? What's your vision? What's your purpose? What's your mission? What's your voice? What makes you interesting? Because that kind of educational engagement takes the writer kind of out of the daily, weekly kind of slog of having to write the chapters. Because it's not all glamorous every week at all. Yeah, there's a lot of work. For me, when I was writing my book, and I know I want to write another one this year, I'm claiming that the hardest part is just blocking the time to sit, get my butt in the chair in front of the computer, because Mm -hmm. I comes up with every excuse in the book, except like that would get you away from writing. Like I could reorganize my shoes or my socks (laughs) or, you know, alphabetize my cereals, like I will come up with any excuse not to get my butt in the chair. So I think having an accountability coach as part of Mm -hmm. it is huge, like just committing to actually getting your butt in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a part of it. You know, I, I, I like to, when I interview clients before I take them on, especially my one-year program, like I have to understand that they have a level of accountability to themselves. We're all adults, right? Like, so I can only take someone so far if I'm having to like chase them down, which I'm not really going to do. But every once in a while, you'll get a text that's like, wondering how that's been going. It's been awfully quiet over there. You know what I mean? Or like your chapter was due at 10 and it's 12. And so I do do some of that. But usually the person already knows what they're up against. And sometimes they'll reach out and call and say, I really need a 15-minute call. Sometimes they'll just push through on something that we talked about like on the prior call. And so it's just like kind of an evolution. Yeah. I think for me, being in college was so much easier because I had I felt like I had to do it because if I wouldn't get the writing done, I wouldn't graduate. Right. Right post-college, I feel like the fire is just not underneath my butt as much. Yeah. 
It's true. It's true. So you need deadlines, you need a process. And, you know, I've had people just call me recently that just said, oh, I did a book weekend. And I'm like, how did that work out? And they're like, well, I don't have a book. It's like years later. And I'm like, well, how did you even expect you were going to have a book for a weekend? Yeah. Like, well, I went into a, you know, a room and I, you know, I'm like, but yeah, books need time to like evolve and breathe and like show what they are and present an even better idea than you're going to come up with in a weekend, which is why I really have stayed away from book weekends. A lot of people have asked me if I would do retreats. Um, and I would love to do one in Paris with a bunch of writers someday, but I'm also realistic. I feel like my books as a writer have to be at a certain level for me to then say, let's go to Paris, you know? So I'm always working to be a better writer too. I would love to go to a book retreat like in Vermont in the woods where there's not even a 7-Eleven or a Target because it's <laughs> to do. If I was in Paris, I'd be like, oh, I want to see this. I want to go to the restaurant. Like there would be so many temptations not to sit in front of the computer and write. But at a but that's but that's the whole point is I would never want anyone to think they're going to write a book on a retreat in Paris. What I want them to do is be creatively set on fire in Paris right? and build the bones of the book. Mm -hmm. Then they can go home and get on an accountability program in an office with no windows. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But in Paris, you want to be lit on fire. You know, I mean... A cabin in the woods in Vermont, I, I, I almost feel like the pressure's on. It's like, write about <laughs> the fir trees. It's like, I don't want to write about the fir trees, you know? <laughs> well, yes, uh, Paris definitely gives you a lot of inspiration about life, for sure. Yes. yes. So why is it so important that books share triumph over trauma? Ooh, um, well, in writing my book, the no longer denying sexual abuse. That was very much me coming through the trauma while writing the book for the reader. And I've seen so many amazing writers and authors work through their trauma while writing their book and like realizing that they haven't fully processed something and then they need to process it. And then they triumph. The triumph is now it's a reader that you're bringing it to. It's not just an insulary therapeutic process. So I love seeing that journey that that a writer will go through where they have to write about it, experience it, cry about it, sit in it. And then I say to them, now, how are we going to reshape this? So this is for someone else. And that's really, I feel like that's the triumph with books when like someone reads it and they feel like it was written for them, not you writing it as a writer, and then they have to have a backseat to your process. They feel like it's legit for them. How do you think writing is cathartic? Well, I mean, there's just moments that you write about. And I also think in hindsight, I mean, I've written a book about buying my house and I went to a writer's group that met every week and we would just do prompts on it. And I would have these moments where like in hindsight, I'd think about like what I went through, like in that particular moment. And I would get emotional because I would be witnessing myself. You sort of re-witness yourself with writing 
in memoir, self-help. You can even re-witness yourself with how-to, but it's those other genres, there's a deeper experience. So you said writing a book is similar to buying a house and you even used your book writing support group to buy a house. What do you think the similarities are? Oh God, it's the same amount of terror, (laughs) right? Because you put down your escrow money, just like if you hire me as a coach or you hire someone, you know, when you do a book, it's an investment. By the time you're done paying for whatever editing, whatever coaching, whatever publishing, whatever marketing, it's an investment, right? And it's all really on the top. It feels like it's all like kind of on the top half, right? And then you have to live in that house for a while. Like you have to live in that book. And the first draft is like when you first get into your new house, you have no money left to buy anything. You're just like so broke and you're just sitting there. You're just like, okay, I've done this. Let's the first draft. Then some time goes by. You start to realize I could maybe put some screens on the windows. Like I could maybe like get a throw rug. That's sort of like the second draft of the book. And then by the third draft, you're really living in that house. You're really in that book you're starting to take ownership. Like you've paid your mortgage for like eight months. You're like, I'm not going to get evicted or bankrupt. You've written the book. You've you've seen drafts of it. And you're like, this is actually, I actually have a book. Just like you're like, I actually live in a house. So I find it very, you know, I feel the things just talking about this gives me anxiety. <laughs> Do you see that parallel? Do you see Especially that? Because you're an escrow, right? I am on my (laughs) second property. (laughs) Um, Do I feel that it's similar? I feel that any, not just writing a book, but any juicy goal has similarities to buying a house and that you have to invest time, money, emotional energy, humiliation, victory, blood, sweat, and tears, everything up front because you have a vision of you living in a beautiful house or you being a property owner or you achieving like a certain financial goal or becoming a writer, whatever it is, you have, you caught a vision of that, but you just can't snap your fingers and become a writer, become a homeowner. There's a process. And I think that happiness is enjoying the process and not being so results oriented. I used to be just so results oriented that I, I missed the joy of the journey and I didn't enjoy the process of what it took to achieve a goal. And I think that is where my, you know, recovery from perfectionism has really come in is like, just enjoy the journey of the not knowing, because that's, that's part of uh, the excitement of living and having an adventure is kind of not knowing what's right around the corner. Yeah, and it's it's great that you said that because that is something I'm definitely working on in this second home purchase. Cause there's a there's like we talked about at the very beginning of this interview, there's some bigger numbers, there's some different factors. I'm renting one home and buying another one. So there's more people involved that that whenever there's more people involved, there's more unknowns, right? So you can't control people. You can to some degree control money, but you kind of can't control people and what they're going to do, what they're going to say. And that creates, if you come, especially if you come from trauma, that creates a lot of like terror, right? So you have to be really clear about like what's now 
and what's from the past, right? And I think buying a house, just like writing a book, is going to bring up a lot of that like old stuff, right? That you're going to have to look at and say, like, is this really now or is this something that's in the past that I can just say, you know, I've kind of gotten through this before. I'm going to get through this again. And it's funny because I'm just thinking I'm writing a second book about the second book is about buying the first house. And I'm like, oh no, now I have to write a third book about buying the second. I'll just keep buying properties and writing books. There you go. So that sounds like a great path to retirement to me. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So how does writing play a part in your life now? Now that you've written the first book. Now that you're in the middle of buying a home, I know you're also a mother to teenagers and yep. you have a dog, a cat, I think. You have I, I have no dog, thank God. No okay. dog. And I, relu- I reluctantly have a cat. Um, <laughs> okay. So how does writing f- fit into your lifestyle now? It's hard. Like I'll be the first one to say that. You know, a majority of my time is spent reading my clients' books and coaching. Um, I have finished a second book and I have written the book proposal for that second book. And I'm looking to go out in the first quarter of 2023 and sell it. Um, I think it's called a single woman's guide to buying a home in America, but I'm not hundred percent sure. It's a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm trying to finish up that proposal uh, and and get that book out. So it's really, I'm in business mode now. The creative process I did for a year. Uh, I wrote every morning at five in the morning. Um, I took Saturdays and wrote a lot of the day. I did everything in my house. I didn't go like to any hotels. I didn't go on retreats. I just made myself, I blocked it on my calendar and that was it. But I had to do it really early in the morning. By 10 a.m., the dings, the dongs, the calls, the things, the da da da, it just gets me. And then I just feel responsible, you know, that I have to take care of all this stuff. So I do it then. I'm currently writing another book that I'm not 100% sure about um, called The Year of Living Single. And it's not really about being like, single necessarily romantically, but it's about that sort of coming into like and examining all those like ideals that were put upon me of how we should be. And so I don't know. I don't know if I like it yet. I don't know if I love it yet. So I've been writing that. So how how often do you write now? So well with the house now <laughs> for this month. Yeah. For this month, my focus is more on that book proposal for the house buying book. And I write every morning in a document called Dear God. So all year long, I keep a document on a Microsoft Word document called Dear God. And I write in it kind of what I feel about that morning. Sometimes there's a couple lines. Sometimes it's just like a dump. And it's not necessarily journaling. I do try and get very specific about what I'm writing about, but my greatest love that I'm writing every week without fail, and it takes me about an hour and 20 minutes to write it, is my newsletter, my okay. inner circle newsletter. And I have a just started, I have 120 people, I think, on subscribed. And I write about just like a story of something that happened and then a technology tip, because we all need those, something I wish somebody would invent that's troubled me that week, a piece of writing advice. And then I do a shameless plug 
<laughs> I love and that. I and I put it out every Sunday. So if anyone wants to, it's free and it's fun, and it just comes to your inbox and it's juicy and it's that I'm loving doing that without needing any result. That's amazing. Now you mentioned you you do your best writing at five in the morning. Have you always been a morning person? Do you have any advice for people like me who find it very hard to get up <laughs> six thirty in the morning? Set that alarm. Set that alarm, set it far away from you. When the minute the alarm goes off, remind yourself why that alarm's going off. I have moments where I'm just like, oh my God, like this is crazy. You know, it's the thing that holds me back from getting up at five sometimes is if I let my mind tell me that this is not how other people live, that I'm crazy, that I'm obsessive, and there should be a better way. (laughs) And I have to just bat that away and be like, at 53 years old, this is the way. Yeah. Because I've tried every other way. This is the way. It's 5 a.m. I make my coffee. I make my toast. I sit down and I just jam for two to three hours. And then your kids wake up when? Oh, if it's the weekend and we don't have anywhere to go and I leave them alone, I might not see them till 11. And on the weekdays? Well, the weekdays, I try not to write the mornings I don't have them, but I'm 50-50 custody. So I have certain mornings that I can just not drive them to school. So those are the mornings where you get the most writing done. Exactly. Yes. And I just commit to that the night before. And I try to go to bed at like 9 or 9.30 the night before I know I'm going to get up. Because if I go to bed at 11, 11.30, it's really hard to get up at five. Oh yeah. So that takes, that takes <laughs> discipline. It does. It takes a lot of discipline. And there's some nights too, where that voice comes up. That's like, you're going to bed at like nine, like life is passing you by. And I'm like, you know what? Nothing good happens historically for me after nine o'clock. Wow. I say nothing good happens after midnight. You say nothing good happens after nine. I love it. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Midnight. Forget it. I don't even know what that means. Oh my God. I know midnight. That's like scary for you. So you're taking all these risks in midlife. You're writing books and launching your coaching career and making all these big moves. What would you tell a woman who is scared to take risks in midlife? Mm -hmm. How would you encourage her? How did you find the courage to take these big risks? Yeah, I just kept understanding over and over how much I really know. I think for a long time, I didn't realize that I knew. I've been in so many scenarios that might not look exactly like what I'm doing now, but I've been in lots and lots of scenarios and been a lot messier and been a lot less emotionally mature. So when I realized that and I was like, oh, wow, I could kind of knock this out of the park now. I also think having daughters really drives me. It motivates me because I really want to show them that like, it's not too late at any point in time in your life to go for anything, you know, and to feel young and to be young and to also make mistakes. You know, I make mistakes, um, all the time, you know, um, I have to apologize for mistakes. And I think that being like, you talked about perfectionism. This is not the fifties is not an age to be in perfectionism. It's (laughs) an age to be like, let's do it. 
you know, but like you said, and then have fun along the way, right? I think that my um, wanting to make, wanting, caring what people think about me is kind of on its last gasp. I love it. I really don't know if I really care anymore. What anybody, I think my livelihood is too important, you know, to really 100% care what people think about me. If someone's not paying your bills, why <laughs> care what they think? That's what I say. <laughs> and even then. <laughs> and if someone's paying your bills, then we need to get you a side hustle. So <laughs> I like what you said about it's okay to do it messy. Just do it. You know, done is better than perfect. Yeah. And universe loves speed. And it's okay to do it messy. Just have fun and do it. I mean, think of how like really little kids are like under three when they have their finger painting. They are just like their whole face is covered with finger paints, their (laughs) whole, you know, hands up to the wrist have paint. And they're just like, they're having so much fun and they create a process and they are doing art and having fun. Like it doesn't have to be painful to take risks and to be creative in your 50s in any age. Like I think so. The narrative on how we get to live our lives. Yeah. I think that the one that I fight the most, and I know that you coach women so beautifully on how to have romantic relationships that are really fulfilling, you know, just like you have a beautiful one yourself. And that's the area still for me. That's like finding that balance. Like I'm doing all this stuff on my own, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar. And then there's like another part of me that's like, oh, it'd be really nice to have a partner who like could help me do all this moving. And then we could have talks about like mortgages or we could like cuddle on the cat, whatever, like, you know, the whole Magella. And it's like that wishing for it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. Wishes do not create anything. And so I'm really sort of in that place of just being open to what shows up and being open to getting rid of those like constructs in my head of how it's supposed to be. Cause I'm doing fine on my own. I, you know, I am. You know, it's funny that writing my book actually tied into meeting my soulmate because I had actually given up on love. I had surrendered it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know what, if I meant to be alone, I'm just going to be like with high vibe, happy, go lucky, cool, spiritual, fun people. And I'm going to focus just on my book and just putting like good vibes out there, helping women, supporting women and come what may, I'm just going to surrender my love life. And that is when I actually met Ben because I invited him to my book signing party and he got to see me give my first lecture ever on my book. And I I was just like in my light and in my power. And that is the moment he actually fell in love. So I would tell my listeners and I would tell you to do the thing, like write the book, go for the business dream, make the move, do whatever it is that's on your heart to do, especially, you know, in 2023, since this is going to come out in the very beginning of 2023. And when you're so immersed in your process and so excited and passionate about your life, you will become more attractive to your beloved. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so true. And then I, I am right where you're talking about, where I just finally said, you know what? I keep making the same mistakes. I keep having the same mindset. You know, I think it's better for me to just 
go on a different track, which is just be in my space, love what I'm doing, enjoy my life, enjoy my friends, enjoy my kids, enjoy my time. And then, you know, have the experiences that are presented to me without like really having to put them in a box and just see what evolves. And I know you have a book signing party coming up. Yes. Maybe invite a couple cute guys to your book signing party (laughs) for me. (laughs) I'm on it. Tell us about the book signing party and how we can find out about it. Yeah, it's February 18th. It's at Village Well Bookstore in Culver City, California from 7 to 9. It's a Saturday night. So come out, have a glass of wine. There'll be some music. And we're really going to open the space up to anybody who has suffered from abuse. Even though it's a book signing and I might do a little reading, I really want to create a container. It's 18 plus, so don't bring your kids. Um a container that's safe where people can say, you know, I was verbally abused. I was physically abused. I was, you know, of, of a victim of, you know, sexual violence. Um, all of it, all of it, because just because my book is about that part of abuse, what I talk about covers abuse and just in general, that whole, like, I'm not enough. I'm damaged goods. I'm broken. And we need to fix that because I will tell you any abuse survivor that I know that's done the work. And there's a couple women in the coaching space who are like on fire. When we meet, we're like, we know why we're on fire because we are survivors. We've come through the abuse and we've talked about it. So I want to open that space up. Village Well Books is an independent bookstore in Los Angeles that I just love. I work there. So if you want to come by and say hi, you'll find me there kind of writing away. And I want to support indie bookstores that are willing to open their doors and give space for topics like this that are really still not talked about as much as they should be. I think that's so great that you're creating not only a book launch party, but a safe space for women to have their voices heard. And I think that's- And men, and men. And and men. I think that's a big part of healing from abuse is not to internalize the pain, but to actually discuss it and to not be ashamed of it because more people suffer from abuse than we realize. It's it's right. common. And right. It's great. So we're going to put the link in the show notes on how they can find out about this amazing book launch event you're going to have. And how else can people keep in touch with you, Kim? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all, I'm everywhere. I mean, it's kimohara.com is my website and um, that's a great place to see what services I have and how to book a consulting call, which kind of gets you started on your journey. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm around. I get around. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for sharing your wisdom and being my new friend. And thank you. I love it. It's going to be amazing to see what we create together. Thank you for listening to another wonderful episode of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I really appreciate my listeners so much that if you want to get a free copy of my book, How to Get make a six-figure income working part-time, all you have to do is take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast or take a screenshot of Apple or Spotify, 
tag me on Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. You can also tag your review, your five-star review and screenshot it to me. And I will mail you a signed copy of my book to your home. And we really appreciate you sharing this podcast. So if you know of anyone that has a book in them or any other creative project, we went through so much incredible advice to empower people to take that project out of their heart and into the world, go ahead and share this podcast with them. And it would really, really help them out just to, just to get to the next step of their creative process. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much, listeners. I love you so much. Thank you again, Kim O'Hara, for being my guest on the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Until we meet again, keep your vibe high and your hands clean. And we'll see you next week with another amazing guest. Be well, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. If you want to start 2023 off with crazy momentum, you are cordially invited to be my VIP guest at a free webinar I'm doing on January 22nd at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time called my New Year, New You workshop. In this amazing dynamic workshop, you are going to get clear on your intentions and what you want to create in 2023. And not only will you get clear on your intentions, you are going to overcome your limiting beliefs, which would stop you from achieving everything you want in all seven areas of abundance. And if that's not all, you're going to learn my signature method on how to customize 21 affirmations so so that you can hit a level 10 in all seven pillars of abundance. Do not miss this free webinar. It is going to rock your world and change your life. We've had so many people get such incredible breakthroughs. I had someone even get their dream job while they were attending this webinar. So please go to the link tree in the show notes to reserve your spot on January 22nd, 12 p.m., 3 p.m. It's one thing to listen to my podcast every week, but when you actually get live coaching from me and get to interact with the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant community, it will take your lifestyle to a level that you cannot even comprehend. You deserve this time. It's on a Sunday, January 22nd. Mark your calendar. Go to the link tree, reserve your spot, and we'll make 2023 your best year ever.